it looks like Greenfield schools will start the year with remote learning. We'll talk about it next on Beyond the Headlines. Welcome to Beyond the Headlines, a weekly look at news and issues that affect the people of Franklin County and their communities. I'm your host, Chris Collins. Welcome once again. Another weekend here in the Pioneer Valley. Lots to talk about in this fastest half hour on local radio. We're going to start off, though, talking about what a lot of people are talking about right now, which is what is going to happen with the start of the school year. Now, there's a lot of moving parts to what's going on statewide in terms of education in Massachusetts with COVID-19 hanging over all of us. And a lot of things have happened in the last week. I'm going to do my best to recap as much of it as possible in this first segment because it's pretty important. Every school district is facing this. I have a sister who runs a school district on the North Shore of Boston, and I've been talking to her a lot about her experiences and what's been going on with just just to set up the various scenarios as to how education is going to be conducted in individual school districts in Massachusetts. So let's recap. When COVID-19 hit in the spring, a lot of school districts went to what's called a remote learning curriculum. And a lot of people have bashed that a little bit, or at the very least criticized it, saying that it was not the best possible scenario for kids to learn. There's, of course, a social aspect of school, which is very important. You hear a lot of talk about that. But the feeling was that it just did not really do the job, the same job as you would do having kids in a bricks-and-mortar school. The impacts on special education, for example. There were no SPED services really available for remote learning. So when it came time to figure out what's going to happen in the fall, the state, after taking a pretty much a hands-off approach, came through with some guidelines for districts to set up curriculum for the coming school year. And so every school district in this area, across the state, Frontier, Pioneer, all the school districts, including Greenfield, have been working around the clock to try and figure out how they're going to educate their kids in the fall with COVID hanging over everybody's head. So this past week, the Greenfield School Committee held a special meeting on Thursday night where they took a look at a variety of scenarios. Now, the way the state laid this out was school districts had the option, actually three options. They could go with a remote learning curriculum. They could go with an in-school, bricks-and-mortar classroom curriculum or some hybrid of the both. The general feeling is that most districts are probably going to try to find a way to do a hybrid of the both. The problem is that a lot of teachers are really nervous about this, and rightfully so, because this is one of those diseases we don't know a lot about it, other than the fact that it spreads about 10 times as quickly as the common flu. We all know what the flu bug and what colds and flus do during a regular school year. Imagine there's a cold and flu out there that if you get it, depending on how it affects you, could either kill you or at least very, at least mess you up pretty badly, potentially put you on a ventilator. If you're an, a, a teacher who has a health condition, or even if you're an older teacher or you're someone who's dealt with something in the past that's affected your immune system, are you really going to want to go into a Petri dish of a classroom with kids that could be coming in carrying this thing back and forth. 
And, you know, we've seen anecdotal evidence of, of exactly how difficult this virus is to contain. We've seen it in, in pro sports. You know, baseball just went back to work, right? And you've got the Miami Marlins who had 17 players and, and staff members and coaches on their roster test positive to the point where they have to suspend their season. So this is nothing to mess around with. So I understand why teachers are upset. So Greenfield has to decide how they're going to handle this. So what they decided to do, the school committee this week, decided to endorse a plan which is called Remote Plus, which is one of a number of potential scenarios that were unveiled in a marathon meeting by Superintendent Jordana Harper. And essentially Remote Plus is a remote learning curriculum platform, basically, with some additional, quote, in-person services which would, you know, could be tutoring. There's talk of putting kids in pods. The additional in-person services in the schools would be services that would not require them being in front of a computer screen. All right, so there would be some kind of an in-person element to it. Exactly what that's going to look like in individual schools, I think, is still sort of being worked out. They still have to get this plan, by the way, approved by the Commissioner of Education. You know, in August, in early August, districts have to submit their plans to the Department of Education, of Elementary and Secondary Education, and they have to have those plans approved to be able to be implemented. Uh, there were a lot of people that were on the on the call in the uh, public comment portion of the meeting that did not want there to be in-person learning in the Greenfield schools, and a lot of them were teachers, and not because they don't want to see the kids. That's the other part of this, that I think cannot be undersold, which is uh, uh, these teachers are not trying to get out of teaching. I think if you, if you ask them to a person, they would like to be able to go back in the classroom, but they would like to be able to do so without having to fear for their lives, literally fear for their lives. That is, those are the stakes that we're playing for right now with COVID-19. So the school committee basically agreed to recommend all the plans Harper put forward, but they, they agreed to get behind this idea of this remote plus learning setup. Glenn Johnson Massad is a member of the school committee. He said that this plan, as it exists, makes the most sense. And it, his comments were somewhat ominous, but very, very true, I think. I think the idea of starting fully remote and ramping up makes the most sense because the then gives you the experience to be able to ramp back down, which I fully expect will happen as soon as someone gets sick or dies in any school system in Massachusetts. Now, that may sound alarmist, but I don't think he's wrong on that. I think that there is a potential here, especially given what we've seen in other states. And Massachusetts has done a pretty good job locking things down for the most part, although you know, Governor Baker takes criticism now and again for not doing enough to help, for example, bar owners who can't open up until there's an actual vaccine, which is a whole separate issue. But it's likely that there's going to be sickness. It's likely there's going to be, if there's a full opening of school, some problems with kids spreading this to teachers and staff members. And what happens if an entire staff gets this and goes down from it? It can be pretty ugly. So they're going to endorse Remote Plus. Now, the question becomes, when does school start? One of the other things about this 
that came up this week was a deal that the Desi commissioner made with teachers unions, basically saying that they would be able to delay the start of school for 10 days to allow for professional development to occur and training to occur for the safety of the teachers involved. So instead of starting around Labor Day, districts are probably going to start in the middle part of September. And Greenfield has agreed to start September 16th for grades 1 through 12 and September 18th for kindergarten, although they may ask for a waiver for that because the state is requiring districts that want to start past September 16th to apply for a waiver to be able to do so. I think that the the district would prefer to start this thing a little bit later in September, probably around the 18th or the 21st. But that is something that will be worked out, and the superintendent has the ability now from the committee to apply for that waiver. Now, there are a lot of other moving parts to this whole educational thing. I think there's a lot of parents out there that are not going to be happy with the idea of there being remote learning again to start the school year. And I get that because one of the reasons why there's been such a push to open schools is because parents have to take care of their kids. And if you don't have any daycare and you don't have schools to send kids to, what's a working parent to do? If you, you know, a lot of these households have two parent households and you can't just cut half of your income and have somebody stay home and and watch the kids and make sure they're supposed to do their schoolwork. So this is a real logistical problem for a lot of people. And it, it's one of those things that there's so many layers to it. I mean, you've got the, the element of, of the family and the kids being locked up in the house and not being able to see their friends. There's the social aspect. There's the impact budgetarily on the district itself. There's the impact on transportation companies. That's another part of this thing that I think a lot of people who don't follow the educational stuff that closely aren't going to recognize, which is that part of this social distancing thing, this idea of keeping kids three feet apart, which is going to be tough enough in the lower grades, is if you have a kid that takes a school bus, if you if you depend on school buses, you can't you can't have you don't have one kid to a seat. So school buses that could normally hold 40 or 50 kids will be able to hold no more than 20. And so you've got edu- you know, costs of transportation, which are going to go up because you're still going to have to be able to transport those kids. Believe me, I've, I, I get behind enough school buses driving home at night, you know, in the middle of the afternoon sometimes, and I see the buses and there's numbers of kids that pour out of those buses at places like Leiden Woods, for example, or uh, Greenfield Gardens. I mean, and those are kids that need that transportation. How are those kids going to get to school? I mean, when I went to school, I was lived right across the street from the school, so walking to school wasn't a big issue. But for a lot of parents, they can't just, you know, if, what if you're a parent that doesn't have a car? You know, how are you going to get your kid? The, 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 the state's recommendation as well. Parents should get more used to the idea of driving their kids. Well, that's nice in theory. I mean, a lot of this stuff is nice in theory, but in practical reality in being able to actually function as a school system, a lot of this stuff doesn't add up. And there's the budgetary aspect. Don't forget, Greenfield, for example, had to lay off over 40 people or not bring back people. They They had to cut people that they had just hired. And you're talking about a situation now, if it's remote, it might be a little easier because there won't be as many 
you need for as many staff members in the schools, but you still got to have people to, to help these kids, help the tutoring part of it, help the in-class part of it. I mean, logistically, this is going to be a really difficult thing, but there's, there's no way around it. There's got to be some element of an education system because it's required by law, but most, more importantly than that, it's, these kids need, have services that need to be met. And we haven't even talked about special education. Well, we talked a little bit about it in the first segment, but there's a whole other element there. Special ed kids cannot learn remotely. They've got to have instructional help in the school system. That's the whole point. And it's, it's a real, real serious nightmare for a lot of these districts. And then the question becomes also what to do about protecting people. And if you're a school district that's already strapped as it is, already strapped for money, and you've got to find money for PPE, you've got, you know, how many kids are going to come to school without masks? Those masks have to be provided. The teachers have to be provided. The teachers have to be trained in how to, to deal with issues like PPE protection, like you know, ways to protect themselves against getting the, the COVID-19 virus. It's a lot to this that I think that um, I'm not sure our friends in Boston fully understand as a practical matter what it's going to be like, for, especially for small school districts like out here in Western Mass, where you've got issues already with regional school transportation and, and rural issues that people in Boston don't necessarily have to worry about. Then there's the little matter of school sports, which is a, some would feel is a secondary issue, but it's pretty important to a lot of kids in these schools. And a lot of kids, there's a lot of kids that go to school. I can tell you, I knew a lot of them when I was in high school and growing up that stayed in school because of sports, that looked forward to going to school and stayed active with their academics because they wanted to be eligible to play football or play soccer or play hockey. And the way it's looking right now, it's not looking good for any kind of high school sports. Although the MIAA hasn't made any kind of determination about the fall sports schedule yet, what they did say was, that they would delay the beginning of the school the school sports season to September 14th, which kind of coincides with the sort of the state DESE requirements regarding public schools. Again, public schools have to go back by September 16th or at least have a plan to go back or they have to get a waiver. And, um, you know, a lot of, you know, I don't know what the future of high school football is. I mean, just imagine that for a second. I mean, I had the privilege of calling the last high school state championship game, which was the Greenfield High School state championship win over Lunenburg. That was the last high school sporting event, I believe, of the winter tournament season. Todd Howe and I will always be known for calling that last game because the, the, the finals were on the 6th of March, which was a week before COVID really started to cook and they shut down the basketball tournaments and everything else. So we were the last ones to call a championship, and it was Greenfield High School hockey team that took home the hardware, and I will, I will always be grateful to have had the chance to be there for that piece of history. I don't know if we're going to see high school sports in the fall. I don't know if we're going to see. I mean, we, we all saw the kabuki dance that was done in Greenfield with the Board of Health over the course of the summer 
regarding Little League softball and baseball. And that whole thing, you know, left a lot of people with bad tastes in their mouths at the way it was handled by the city. But that's a different topic for another time. So COVID's not going away. We've seen this. You know, we've got an election coming up, and we'll be talking more about that as we get closer. You know, the president made some uh, remarks this week about maybe we need to think about not having the election. That's not going to happen, by the way. But uh, there's a whole lot of stuff that's in the wind right now. And it's scary. It's a scary time for anybody. It's a scary time if you're like me, someone who has a compromised system. If you're a parent that's got to worry about how they're going to get their kids educated. You know, there are some parents that are thinking about homeschooling, which is an option. You have to put a curriculum together. But here's the thing they don't tell you about the homeschooling thing. And it might very well work better than remote learning for some kids. But for the school district in question, if people start homeschooling kids like in large numbers, then the district loses the state money for those kids. So if if you decide to keep your kid home, whatever the dollar figure is that goes with your child in terms of what your district pays for education, that money to your district, gone. So, and not that that's a reason to not do it. It's certainly not, it's not one of those things where that should even factor in, and it won't for some parents and shouldn't, but it's a reality that I think a lot of school districts have to recognize because if parents start pulling their kids because they're afraid for their safety and they start homeschooling, it could very well decimate school districts financially that cannot afford that kind of decimation. So a lot of stuff going on, and we're going to be following it as we do every week here. But at this point, it looks like Greenfield's going back remote, and we'll see what other school districts decide to do as we head into the fall. A couple of other items to talk about this week. They're obviously, the schools are a big topic right now. And one of the things that has been a topic for a while now, before COVID hit, long before COVID hit, was the issue of what's called regionalization. And regionalization is an effort at the state level to try and convince either underperforming or financially struggling school districts or districts that are losing, rapidly losing population because of school choice or because people are leaving the area. They want to have school districts that are having these issues consider merging with one another. And there's lots of concerns about that because the regional school systems were set up specifically to serve the needs of smaller communities by establishing a system whereby a group of towns like in Frontier's case, for example, Conway, Deerfield, Sonoma, and Waitley could not afford individual high schools, so they built a district where all four towns could send their kids. This is before the days of school choice where the borders were thrown open. You could put your kid in any school you wanted to that had a seat. Back in the day, when regional schools were built, that was the idea, was to give smaller communities an opportunity to merge together and create their own schools for their kids. Well, now what's happening is a lot of people are either leaving those districts or because of school choice, kids are going to charter schools or they're going to other districts, and you're seeing a lot of these regional schools with empty seats. And so what you've been seeing, especially in the Pioneer District, for example, is a push to try to close certain elementary schools. In fact, the closure of the Warwick Community School is one of the reasons the town of Warwick voted 
at their most recent town meeting to leave the Pioneer District. They did not like the way that was handled by Pioneer, and they said so and basically said they're pulling out. So Pioneer, which has already had some well-known problems with its budgets in recent years, is sort of on the ropes. So there's been this discussion, this possibility of maybe Pioneer merging with the Gilmontague School District. Now, again, these are just preliminary conversations, but there is a precedent here. And again, we go back to the world of sports because what you have now, for example, in, a, in, in Greenfield High School, an example, Greenfield High School has a hockey team. Aren't enough hockey players in Greenfield to be able to field a whole team. So they develop what's called a cooperative program, which accepts students, hockey players, from all across Franklin County. Kids from Smith Academy come over, Athol, Mahar, and a lot of these kids came up with the Franklin County Hockey Association, which my parents founded. And they've been playing together for years, and now they've all joined Greenfield as a co-op team. Similar idea here, but much, much more complicated. Because what you've got is you've got existing regional agreements that are binding, that are in place for a reason, and have been set up specifically to serve the needs of these individual communities, again, which are smaller communities bending together to create schools to serve their students. The number one school right now for school choice in Franklin County is Franklin County Tech. And all the credit in the world to Tech, they have built a great program over there. And you know, when I was coming up, when I was growing up, the tech school was kind of the place where you didn't really want to go there because, you know, it was a tech school and it was, a, it was had a reputation of being a rough school and kids that couldn't go to regular schools would go there. Now they got a computer program over there, second to none. A lot of kids are choosing to go over there. And it's, I'll tell you what, of all the, t- of the schools I've covered in my time recently, Franklin Tech kids are some of the best kids you're ever going to meet. They've got a good thing going over there, so a lot of kids are going to Tech. A lot of them are leaving from Turner's Falls High School to go to Franklin Tech. So you've got you know, Pioneer with budget issues, loss of uh, personnel, loss of, of students. You've got you know, Turner's Falls losing kids hand over fist to Tech and to other districts. So it would make sense that Gil Montague and Pioneer would at least enter into discussions about the possibility of joining forces. Mike Naughton is a resident of the town of Montague. He is part of a subcommittee studying the issue, and in full disclosure, I appointed Mike Naughton to that committee because I am the moderator in the town of Montague, in addition to everything else that I do. So I know a little bit about this. And he says that there are still a lot of unanswered questions about the idea of Turner's and Pioneer merging. I think we all had a number of concerns going into this. The primary one, you know, being, uh, is this a good idea? That's the basic question that we're researching. And I don't think that anybody's really formed an opinion yet. So we're all still waiting for information and for the opportunity to discuss that information. Now, I want to stress, before anybody gets freaked out, this is not imminent. This is one of those things that it's a study committee looking at the feasibility of maybe one day Gil Montague and Pioneer coming together. The problem is you've got to have school committees on both sides willing to do this. And right now the Pioneer School Committee does not appear to be of one mind on this. In fact, 
the committee voted six to five, a margin of one vote, to take part in this process. And that, to me, does not indicate. And again, the Pioneer Committee, they've had a lot on their plate in the last few years. I'm not here to, to cast aspersions. That, there's a lot in between the budget problems in that district. There was some, a battle over the, the athletic director's position. There's been a lot of stuff going on. And then, of course, the Warwick pullout and all that that entailed. Um, that committee is not having an easy time of it. So I can understand why they'd be a little bit freaked out about the idea of there being this effort to try and come in and basically upset their apple cart and force some kind of a merger with Pioneer and Gil Montague. And again, I, the Gil Montague is just, is just now getting a new superintendent. Michael Sullivan is, is done. He's retiring. So we'll see if the incoming superintendent has some thoughts on this. Pioneer has a brand new superintendent as well. I mean, you've got some good young educators in that system. So there's no reason to think that there couldn't be some serious discussions about this. But again, we're talking about fiefdoms here. We're talking about existing regional agreements. We're talking about people that have had these agreements in place for generations and may not be willing to tear it all down in the interest of the state's effort to push toward regionalization. I expect there'll be pushback. I expect there's going to be a lot of questions asked, hopefully some also answered, because you know it's all about gathering information at this point. And the politics will work itself out, I think, at some point. But this is going to be a long process. This is not going to be something that's going to happen overnight. And hopefully there will be lots of conversations at lots of tables where this is all said and done and the decision is made. But certainly worth watching. That'll do for Beyond the Headlines. Be of good cheer and be of good health. We'll talk to you next week at the same time for the fastest half hour on local radio. Take care. I'm out.